Welcome to the Etobicoke Historical Society's monthly oral history podcast. This podcast is one of a series of interviews of senior Etobicoke residents in the 1980s. The interview tapes were recently discovered in the local history room at Richview Public Library. We would like to thank the Toronto Public Library for giving them back to us so they could be made into these podcasts. These oral histories are a valuable and unique view into the history of Etobicoke in the early part of the 20th century, as seen through the personal experiences of local residents. We will be presenting a different interview each month. We hope you enjoy them. That was your family home? My grandfather's family home uh, because he farmed that property. 117 acres that went down Montgomery Road on both sides to the track, CPR track, and then over to Royal York Road. Now, what was it, your, your grandfather's name was? Henry Hill. Henry Hill. Yes. And uh, what, what would he grow on the farm? It was a mixed farming. He grew some grain, he grew corn, he had um, dairy cattle, sold milk. We had 17 acres of apple orchard. And um, he grew potatoes, vegetables. It was mixed farming, really. Did he grow anything special down on the flats, uh, on the, the creek? On the creek? Well, no, because he rotated crops there. Sometimes it was corn, sometimes it was grain. And uh, Where the high school is built, he grew a lot of tomatoes. It was beautiful, sandy soil, he grew beautiful tomatoes. That's what I remember. <laughs> Now where would, where, do you remember where he would take these to sell them, or? He sold them in the city, Toronto. He had, um, oh, about 300 barrels of apples, and during the winter, particularly before Christmas, he had regular customers who bought apples by the barrel. Loblaw's one. Mr. Loblaw used to come out, and he had a, a shop on College Street near Bathurst, I think. Yeah, I think that sounds like his first first store, store. I believe. And he used to ride horseback and come out and uh, buy apples, which were delivered as he needed them. Now, well, uh, Montgomery's Inn is a very large building. Uh, he must have had some fairly fond memories of roaming around it as a child. It was a wonderful place to grow up in. <laughs> Tell me a bit about it. Um, well, it was, it was wretchedly cold in the winter because all we had were stoves. Now, how many stoves would you have? Well, we had the kitchen stove, of course, and we had a stove in what is the dining room now, um, which was our dining living room, really. We, and we dined, we ate mostly in half the kitchen because that kitchen was very big. And then we had a stove, a wood stove, 
on the landing upstairs. And um, a lot of the trees were very old, the apple trees, and apple wood is very good to burn. So each year there were old trees that came out and fresh trees that were put in. And then that apple wood was burned. And of course we had a queen heater, it was called, and the big top, and huge blocks of wood were put into that heater and kept going. Then in what is the bar room, the apple cellar was right underneath that bar room. And my grandfather kept roots, apple roots, <laughs> smoldering on that hearth. And that just kept the apples right. It was like cold storage. It kept them from freezing, but kept them cool. And that's the way he kept his apples for the winter. Now, uh, there's quite a few rooms on upstairs. Uh, how big was your family? Well, there was my grandfather and my mother and my aunt and myself, actually, in the actual family. But then my grandfather, in, during the winter, always had two men that worked for him. And in the summer, um, at certain times of the year, for instance, uh, at apple picking time, we had men who came, and I believe they were generally French Canadian, and uh, they would come and stay and pick the apples. And they would live in the EA? Yes. <laughs> For the rest of the time, the rooms would s those rooms would stay empty? That's right. Uh, in um, Over the kitchen, the two men that worked for us steadily, <laughs> um, they slept there because in the winter because that was warm. Were, the stovepipe came up through the... and there was a, what they called a drum on the stovepipe. And why it let the smoke through in small areas it gathered heat, you could open the door and it came out. But in the summer, it was very hot because that ceilings are very low in the back part. And so they were moved into what is the ballroom of the courtroom because that was light and airy. <laughs> now, uh, when you're uh a child there, you must have spent a lot of time running around in the house and playing and that. What, uh, did you come across any interesting old articles? Or a lot of interesting old articles, for instance, in what is the ballroom. <coughs> there was, it was, had also been used as Sessions Court. So, there was the witness box, and there's a replica of that there now. And the judge's bench and the bar were there. And, um, <coughs> of course, in the basement, there was a cell. It was interesting because the door had no lock on it. 
I presume it was oak, but I don't know, really. But it was thick. These are the bars were made of oak. No, no, not the bars, the door. I, I presume. Now, it may not have been, but it was thick and it was heavy. And on the outside of the door, in what would be now the tea room, <coughs> there was a hand-wrought iron ring on that door. And the door opened in. And when you pulled that shut, from the inside, you could hardly feel the crack. <laughs> and there was no way that you could get that door open. There was no lock on. Did you ever get stuck in there? Oh, no. <laughs> and then there was a grating. Oh, not more than probably nine, ten inches square that looked out into what we call the stone cellar. And that's now part of the kitchen. And on the best of days, you needed light on in there. So you can imagine how much light and air, of course, the room had kept in there overnight. Tried the next morning. It wasn't a jail. It was merely a cell. But, and the floor was earthen. Dreadful place. <laughs> and you, all these things sat in the, in the, in the house as you, when you lived in it? Mm -hmm, of course. And um, there was very interesting handle. You came down into what is now the tea room from the front hall. And uh, we used that sort of basement kitchen as a laundry. There was a stove in there and a washing machine. And all the things we needed for laundry. And then the stairs, there was a window in the wooden wall, so it gave some light onto the stairs from this basement kitchen. But there was, it, it was like, it's a metal thing. You find them on old barns. Oh, large. Yes, That's her, yes. But the handle were, uh, um, was like, came out like this. And it had curly cues in it. was iron and down there an iron plate. So that as a kid, I could go down the stairs, reach out and grab this and pull the hasp and swing out <laughs> the kitchen. And when the inn was sold to the Presbyterians, and they were going to tear so much out, you know, husband, you know, I'd love the hesp of that door. <laughs> and, you know, there were ways of getting into there. You never could lock it up if it was locked up completely. Did you have any problem with people just sort of walking in on you? Or? Oh, no. You had to know how. <laughs> to go through the cellars, you'd get lost, you know. And uh, so, wanted would go and get it. So I sort of considered this. I guess I was, I don't know whether I was well brought up or badly brought up, but I couldn't bring myself to go and get it. It wasn't mine. And now I wish I had.
because it could have gone back to the inn, and it was just thrown out. Also, the ring of the door, the door of the cell. Is there anything else that was thrown out that you can think of? Doors. Well, of course, the doors were thrown out, and um, the Presbyterians, of course, took the, the uh, front stairs out, and the walls between the dining room and the parlor and the what we used as a back bedroom on the main floor. So that all that was gone, the original door handles, which were there, very interesting, because on the dining room door, they were metal, maybe brass, and the knobs were only about that big, and they were... Maybe, what, one and a half inch uh, across? About. Yeah. Beautiful lock. And then there were china lock, other doors, <laughs> and they, they were all gone. What about um, any old, when you're wandering through the basement um, to the cellars, any old papers or? No. It was all cleaned out pretty well. Oh, yes. Yeah, nothing. Um, there was the old sign that was pushed up, but other than that. If we go to your uh, uh, schooling and uh, and that, uh, you mentioned that uh, while you were a teenager, you were involved in concerts. Was that locally? Sometimes locally, uh, yes, around Toronto and uh, around um, the area here. What what group would this this be? Well, it was a teacher that I studied with. And um, she and some of the other people, um, I did some work. Sometimes there would be four of us go, and there would be a pianist, a singer, a violinist, and myself. And we would go to churches generally. Um, harvest home suppers. What sort of what what sort of a show would you? Put on for them. For them, well, uh, the songs were generally popular, and you always did. We might do, say, two or three selections each. If you did three selections each, well, then two of them would be humorous and one more or less serious sort of thing. Poetry, stories, problems. This is through through sort of high school. Your teacher at high school? Oh no, 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 no. Through the teacher that I studied with privately. And the teacher come out to see you, or did no. you go? Um, I went to. First of all, I went to the West Toronto College of Music which was right near Keel, over the store. And uh, Mrs. McGill was principal there, and Miss Galbraith, Florence Galbraith, taught what was called elocution in those days. And um, 
there was a girl in my form I uh, at high school, and she was studying with Miss Galbraith and doing all kinds of things. And I had always been through the church and through various organizations, always been doing things. My mother was very interested. She was a theater buff. I went theater long before I went to school. <laughs> and um, so I took piano, studied here locally with Miss Evans. What exactly, what would you exactly be studying? Well, I did voice work with just the same as you do for singing, except it is for speech. Good diction, proper placement, proper resonance, an expressive voice, in other words. And I tended to have a rather nasal voice. It was a carrying voice, because I've done a lot of work and I have to get to the back of the hall on my own. <laughs> And uh, so I had to work hard at that. And then you studied monologues, poetry, stories. Now what about, uh, let's go back in your schooling a bit further yes. and go back to Islington Public School. Yes. Tell me a bit about it, uh, your teachers. Well, it was a one-room school. And for the first, of course, there was no kindergarten. Started in grade one at age six. And when I was about nine, I guess, eight, maybe nine, on very cold days, we sat around the stove on benches. They, everyone, all eight grades? Everybody. It must have been hard to learn anything those days. Not at all. <coughs> Not at all. Care to elaborate? Well, Mr. Ball was an excellent teacher. Uh, a fine, he kept us all in line, but he was most kind. And if you couldn't get anything right, I never was very good at mathematics. And he would say to several of us, Come to my house tonight, I'll help you with that. And he lived in the little red brick house that is directly behind the, I don't know what's in there now, it used to be the Royal Bank on the corner of Cordova and Dundas. So it's just, just south of Dundas. Yes, and it's, it's still there. And we used to go and We'd probably be five of us sitting around various grades, <coughs> around that table, working at various things, doing our homework. Mrs. Paul used to supply cookies. <laughs> it was very pleasant. <laughs> but you had certain things to do. You were expected to do them. But you also, for some reason or other, had time to listen what went on that interested you? In the classroom. So at the same time you're learning your own material, you're picking up something from a grade ahead of you. That's right. Mm -hmm. Sometimes if, <coughs> if what was in the readers were 
was very interesting. Um, that's why I guess my mathematics didn't go very well. I was always listening to what was going on in the reading because we all read aloud. Now, uh, to get into high school then, you had to uh, write an entrance examination. That's right. We went to Weston, to the high school there, and wrote our entrance examination. Do you remember it at all? Writing it? Mm-hmm. Yes. We, um, seems to me that we were there all day. I remember how I got there, but probably my grandfather took me. And what, what sort of things would they ask you on the... Oh, I don't remember what we were asked on the examination. But it was quite a comprehensive examination. I remember having to do um, uh, decimal. The bane of your existence. The bane of my existence. <laughs> to this day, decimals floor me. Fractions I can do like that. <laughs> Now, what high school did you go to? Humberside. Humberside. Uh, what sort of courses would you take there? Well, I took straight matriculation course. There was a difference in those days between teacher's course and matriculation course. A lot of people who started off and went through for teachers went for four years and then went to North, what's called normal school. But I took the straight matriculation. That would course. be Maz, English, Latin, no doubt. That's right. I took Latin, French, German for a little while. Now, would there be any sort of practical manual courses given then? No. If you wanted practical manual courses, you went to the technical school, and there was only the one, I think, at that, at that time, and that was at Bathurst and Bloor, isn't it? Harvard? No, not Harvard. It's east of that, the, the central technical school here in Toronto. And, um, but in the high schools, there was no technical. Now, the Humberside High School is down, or Collegiate, is down on the other side of the Humber River, is it not? Yes. How did you get there? <laughs> well, we walked to the Humber River, and we took a streetcar that ran from Keel Street to the Humber River. Every day? Every day, yes. And uh, we also... We didn't have much money, even. <laughs> if we got rides, this was fine. Occasionally, we could uh, we get a ride with somebody we knew. Um, sometimes, um, I can remember there was a Mr. McGee, and he bought a farm up Burnfarp on the corner of what is now Martin Grove. And um, he worked at Eaton's and drove very large touring cars. I believe he was the manager then. A manager. He was. He was. And um, he would come along in the morning and pick us all up, if, you know, pile us into the back with these buffalo ropes. <laughs> 
would uh, <coughs> get rides generally coming home. You didn't get a chance to ride very much on the sleighs and the farmers taking stuff to market. There was too much on the sleigh. There was a sometimes pick one up or something. Couldn't pick more than that up. But coming home you could hook your ride on the sleigh. <laughs> and uh, so you saved a car ticket, which was fine. And we skated, of course, on the creek. This is the Memico Creek. Yes. Did you ever go swimming in the creek? Yes. Where, it's very shallow. Where would you... Uh, uh, well, just back at the high school, actually, there was um, a deep pool in there. It's long since gone, with willows over it. And uh, we used to go swimming there. And then down back of the, the uh, Our Lady of Sorrows school, um, there was what was called the Long Pond. And it was deep. Was it separate from the creek altogether? No, it was, it was a part of the creek. It was just wider and deeper just than? Just wider, not so much wider, but deeper for a length, <coughs> oh, probably from here to out to the road. So that'd be about 90 feet long. Long enough to get a few strokes in. Yes. The the pool that was back of our farm, that was part of our farm. That would be the, the willows? Yes. Mm -hmm. Now, how, how did you learn how to swim? I just learned, which is fine. I never was a good swimmer. I was never taught any strokes. Just jumped in and hoped <coughs> you didn't sink. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> now, what uh, what sort of games would a would a young girl play in Islington? Oh, we used to play hide and seek. I remember. Hide and seek was wonderful in the farm because you had the barns. You had a lot of barns on the, uh, mm -hmm. the farm. Of course, there was. There were big barns, and they covered quite a piece of ground. There was a very large, um, I suppose, wagon shed, you would call it, at the north end of the barn. And implements of all kinds were kept in there, and two or three wagons. And then the, there was a, a root cellar next to it, and then the cow barn, and it was a big barn. Then next to that, there was what was known as the feed room, and then the horse stable. And then <coughs> a smaller and an older barn. This had been built on, I don't know or we ever came there. A smaller barn, there was um, in it was a chicken house, and um, there had been a stable of some sort at the end of it, a small place. We didn't use it for anything, but there were lofts, and now those lofts are filled with hay. So you play hide-and-seek all through there? And exactly, yes. <coughs> and we had then, of course, we had uh, that part of the barn was taken down, and then we had a chicken house. 
and back of thee in itself. And they are no longer there. Uh, out of the kitchen came down two steps into a place we called the back kitchen, which had a table and a bench and a cupboard that we kept. Hmm, pans and utensils that were not used very often at all. And then <coughs> you went down four or five steps into another room affair that led into the, <coughs> you went down again from there into the basement where there's, I think, cloakrooms and washrooms and the furnace room now. That was the potato cellar, the roots of the potato cellar. Yeah. And in the spring, <coughs> there was a ditch that ran through there. And in the spring, when the water drained off, there was water in it. So there was a little bridge from the door over to the, the ditch, drainage ditch that ran right through the basement. Rather interesting, any fish in it? No, no. <laughs> but it was just in the spring, and the spring runoff, and then it was dry all the rest of the year. Now, with the, did your uh, playmates have the dolls and. Oh, heavens, yes. We had dolls and doll carriages and <coughs> all sorts of things. What about um, celebrations with holidays? We lived in the country. <clears throat> My grandfather, actually, was the first one here from when he first came. Except for a nephew who came on his side of the family, my grandmother's family all came to his place when they came. So our house, because we had such a big house, <coughs> was sort of the gathering. Oh, you had a lot of relatives living in the area? No, they didn't. They all lived in the city. But they'd all come out here but for the they holidays? They all came out here for holidays, yes. Particularly at Christmas time. We used to have a great celebration at Christmas time. Why don't you tell me about that? Well, on Christmas Eve, um, all the <coughs> family would gather. There was nothing for us to have about. 15 people, 20 people, and my grandfather would take the sleigh and, and there would be a prearranged time. They would be, these, these streetcars around every half hour, as I said, at say 7.30, they'd all be at Lampton. So my grandfather took the sleigh and picked them all up and brought them. And uh, some of them, of course, they didn't make walked. I have one great uncle who lived in the, e in the east end of the city, and he started out at noon hour to visit his friends and relatives across the city. And he walked from the dawn to our place every Christmas Eve with various stuff. He'd be carrying parcels and whatnot. No, he didn't carry any parcels. He just came. And then 
We had a Christmas tree, of course, and... Um, How would you decorate it? Oh, we had tinsel. Um, we never lit candles on it, my mother nor my grandfather. It was much too dangerous. Some people did, but we never did. And we had glass bubbles and something practically I have today. <laughs> Not quite as elaborate, probably. And uh, so about, oh, 9.30, 10 o'clock, we all got our gifts from each other. They were opened and moved and awed over, of course. And then at about, you know, at best 10, quarter 11, we had supper. And that consisted of frumity, which is a wheat porridge, and pepper cake, which is a highly spiced gingerbread, mince pies, cheese, and the Christmas cake was cut. And then, at 12 o'clock, everybody went out of the house. And they sang Christmas carols in the open air. And my great uncle that I walked, he was always my grandfather's lucky bird. He was very dark. He had to be it had to be dark and a male person, person on Christmas morning. And he had to carry a piece of evergreen. So along the front, there was a picket fence along there originally. We had uh, cedars, and these were good. So a piece of cedar was broken off by my uncle. <coughs> he carried it into the house and put it on the mantle in the dining room in a vase that my mother had left there. And that stood there till the 1st of May. And then on May Day, it was burned. And this was why cedar was so good, because if it kept its green until May Day, that was very good luck. <laughs> I've never heard of this tradition before. This was your, a Yorkshire tradition. Just from that one region. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. And, uh, you know, the neighbors, uh, there weren't very close neighbors, there was a small house at the foot of our orchard, which would be under the bridge that goes over the creek now. And there were three houses on the opposite side. And they all stayed up to hear us sing. <laughs> Sometimes they'd come out and <laughs> come across. And join in. Yes. No, it sounds like you've, uh, most of the Christmas celebrations that happened now, uh, you did on the Christmas Eve, what would you do Christmas Day? Well then, <coughs> Christmas morning, of course, there was always, for me, there was always Santa Claus. And then Christmas Day, we had dinner at noon. And uh, this, it was always beef. And my grandfather was very careful uh, what kind of beef he got. He went and chose it in November 
from the butcher that he dealt with. Who was that? Do you remember? Mr. Clayton. <laughs> well, what, what was so special about this one piece? Well, it uh, was large, of course, and uh, between my grandfather, who knew me, and the butcher, it would be a very fine roast. Well-aged, I would imagine. Uh -huh. And so we had roast beef and vegetables and plum pudding, and but at noon. And then the rest of the day? And the rest of the day, the rest of the day was spent in usual uh, political argument. Very politically inclined. Oh, I had uh, uncles that were liberals, uncles that were conservative. And my mother attended when the CCF came along. She joined the CCF. She was socialistic. And uh, then um, they would sort of gather themselves together and um, my mother would think, get the dishes done finally and then uh, she would give them a light tea and a cup of tea and then my grandfather would gather them all up again in the sleigh, take them back to the streetcar and they'd go home. Now your celebrations, would they include any liquor at all? Wine. Now, exactly when did uh, your family stay in Montgomery's Inn? Oh, from about 1900 to 1915. And after that, who did, uh, do you know who bought it? It didn't belong to us. It belonged to the Montgomery's. <laughs> My grandfather rented it. Oh. It was never sold <coughs> until the uh, Presbyterians bought it. Um, do you know who moved in after you? Yes. I'm trying to think of their names. Um, it was an Italian family from Lombardy. I can't think of their name. And they lived there. Um, before my grandfather left, uh, there was a uh, a house built on <coughs> Montgomery Road by the the uh, Montgomerys, and a piece of land, the piece of orchard, about five acres of orchard, um, and a piece of land down to the uh, track went with that house. So they were beginning to break it up. Then. Um, they broke it up further. For instance, the Italians didn't have the, the fields over on, on the Royal Oak Road at all. And um, then they left, and Chinese people came in there. And the next child to be born in there was a Chinese child. Rather long gap in between. Yes. Um, and uh, they were sent to, told me at the inn, well, the last time I was there, or one day I was there, and they said that um, they'd had this Chinese man in, and he said he had been born there. 
and I remember my mother going to see, she knew the nurse. And they had tremendous gardens. And of course the high school was built and broken up bit by bit. Yes. Okay, well, thank you very much. You're quite welcome. <laughs>Thanks for listening to the Etobicoke Historical Society's Oral History Podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to subscribe and like. If you wish to learn more about the work of our society, be sure to visit www.etobicohistorical.com. See you next month.